I'm sure we would all understand that it is the job of the pastor to see people saved, to witness and disciple and, and, and see them grow in the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. But dare I say this, we as a church must also realize that it is to be our main focus as well, to act as Christians, to be Christ-like. All right, good afternoon. I'm glad to be here with you at Grace Baptist Church. My name is Dan Dinsborn. My family and I serve as missionaries in Belize, Central America. I would ask that you would pray with us on Wednesday, we'll actually be traveling down to the country as it's exactly the halfway point of our deputation and we have a lot of things to do down there. Pray for safety and wisdom as God guides us. And we're looking forward to being with you in the fall. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8? And once we find our place there, we'll open in prayer as we begin in Acts chapter 8 this afternoon. And let's pray. Lord, our Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to meet together. I pray that you would bless this church, Lord, and I pray that you would work in our hearts regarding missions here and abroad. We thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you, Lord, and pray that you would work in a wonderful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to find ourselves this afternoon. I really enjoy the book of Acts. For me, it serves as the backbone of the New Testament. As we're able to see how several books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and, and countless others, tie together as we see both the missionary journeys as well as the letters that were written back, back and forth there. So it, and so it is, we'll find ourselves in Acts chapter 8 this afternoon. If you're familiar with church history, you'll understand that partway through Acts chapter 6, we would find Stephen. And we, we would see how in verse 8 it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles amongst the people. It was this Stephen that over the next chapter and a half would give testimony to what God had done, be judged, and eventually stoned to death for his witness, as Saul greatly persecuted the church, as we'll see here in Acts chapter 8, starting in verses 1 through 6, as it says this, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, bearing, hearing, and seeing the miracles which he did. Turn with me over to verse 25 as we'll continue. We'll fill in this little part in the middle here later. In verse 25, it continues, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert." 
And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge over all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which she read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. One of the things that I love about this portion of scripture is that we talk about the man named Philip. We don't hear that he's a, a great man or, or a good looking man or, or very well educated, but rather the fact that he was willing and he was obedient to follow Christ however he was led. I enjoy Philip because once again, in this passage of scripture, we see how God blesses faithfulness. Philip would have known full well what had just happened to Stephen here. The persecution. And he had a choice to make. Did he run away from this? I don't believe so. I'd rather like to think that as he was directed by God, Philip ran towards another opportunity to be used by God here. When Philip saw one area of ministry close, he, he was able to go and continue on preaching Christ as chapter 8 verse 5 talks about the fact that he kept on preaching Christ. Notice here with me this afternoon that Philip has a singular focus. Wouldn't life be so much easier if we had a singular focus? If all other decisions were figured out and determined based on one. Philip had determined in his life that his focus was to preach Christ and to make him known. It gave him clarity in his everyday tasks. I'm sure we would all understand that it is the job of the pastor to see people saved, to witness and disciple and, and, and see them grow in the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. But dare I say this, we as a church must also realize that it is to be our main focus as well, to act as Christians, to be Christ-like. 1 John 3.18 says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Rather, not just talk about it, but put some action to our faith. We, we have the opportunity in church to give testimony of what God has done and how he saved our soul, and that's a little bit easier here 
But when was the last time we shared the gospel with somebody outside these doors? And even better, instead of just telling others you're a Christian, wouldn't it be far better also to show them that we're a Christian? I'm sure in our area here, people understand what Christians are against, right? They, they say, oh, you're a Christian. That, do, that means you don't, you don't smoke and, and drink and, and carry on and do all those fun things, right? Why is that? I, I'm sure they understand the things we don't do because often those are the things we tell them about. Would it not be a far better witness for us to explain what we're for? Do we share about the joy and the love and the peace we experience as a child of God? Or are we too busy complaining? 1 John 3.18, like I said, it mentions the word love. 1 John 4.19 also mentions this as well. We love him, you know the verse, because he first loved us. John 3.16 explains this as well. For God so loved the world that he gave. This means it's going to take some effort, some, some physical effort, some mental effort, some financial effort as well as we are to share the gospel with the lost. Now we understand that God is a holy God. How do we love God the way he's loved us? How, is that possible? We know in our sinful flesh who we are. Yet Christ died for our sins. How do we reciprocate? How do we show him back that kind of love? In John 14, 15, it says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, if you would. Matthew chapter 22 explains even farther what we're talking about here. As it really is a culmination, uh, I guess you could say, of the Old Testament. And it describes for us here how we can show love to God. First, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, it says this, and you're familiar with it, I'm sure. In 34, it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, meaning they, they kind of tie together a little bit here. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I'm sure you could think with me this afternoon of, this afternoon of somebody that you just don't get along with. Whether it's a physical neighbor or a person at work, hopefully it's not a spouse or somebody else in this room, but somebody you just have to think about them and it just gets your blood boiling a bit, little bit if you understand what I mean here. God says we ought to love them. That's a little hard to do sometimes. I, I know this to be true. But when we think of how we've offended God with our sin and yet he's loved us, these other matters seem so small, don't they? Back to Philip. Because Philip had this settled, he understood that just because it was difficult doesn't mean you should stop. Philip, we see firstly, was a willing servant. 
You might say, hey, I'd be willing to be a, a servant of God if it meant moving from an area where, where I was persecuted, where my friends were being stoned to death, and move to an area where I was a big deal, where I could be used by God greatly and see multitudes of people come to know him as their Savior. I would do that. I would be willing to go. I'd be willing to, to surrender my life. And we see that from verses 5 through 25, how we'd see how the work of the Lord grew and, and many trusted him. But what about when we get to verse 25 and, and following? Would you be willing to follow the Lord then? Up to verse 25, like we said, he was a big deal. Things were happening. Yet in verse 26, God moves Philip from a place of perceived prominence to the desert. From Jerusalem to the desert. I don't know about you, but I have often doubted God. You, you were probably much more spiritual, but, but sometimes I would say, God, are, are you sure? Are you sure this is a plan you have for my life? Maybe, maybe I should just pray about it for a little while longer, or often we put these things off until, until it's too late. But Philip understood that God wanted to use him. And, and no matter what he thought of himself or the situation was, he was in, he allowed God to direct his life. And very quickly, in verses uh, 27 and 28 of Acts chapter 8, it speaks about how quickly he did so. It says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, and the way that go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. Verse 27 says, And he arose and went. He did it right away. He did this immediately. Later on, it talks about how he ran to the chariot. He was willing to be used and acted immediately on what God had for him. Why would he do this? We see, obviously, firstly, that he was a willing servant. And secondly here, we see a wanting sinner. In our text, we see a wanting sinner, a person who needs the Lord and is searching for answers, searching for truth, searching for God. Make, make no mistake, this man here by earthly standards, this guy had it all. He had position. He had prominence. And if you ask me, I'm certain he had a pretty nice vehicle as well, I'm sure. Now, I am a, a truck guy. I like that kind of thing. But I'm certain that this man with such a position and, and in charge of all this treasure, I'm sure he was set up very well. He had all the things that life could offer him, yet he was searching. In Belize, they're searching as well. In my country, people are trying to fill that void in their life. They're trying to fill that emptiness in their life with, with loose living, with alcohol, and just trying to forget about the past and numb the pain of their life and fill that void. This is why Philip went. God directed him because he was willing and because that he realized that all around us, wherever we are, there are sinners in any... Uh, searching for a savior. Now, this, this begs the question, in my mind anyways, I, sometimes I get off track and I think, I wonder, was there nobody closer? Was there nobody closer than Philip who could have witnessed to this man? It's possible that they just weren't willing. So God had to move this man from what he was doing over here to somewhere else because Philip was willing. And it's also possible in my mind again, that maybe God had ordained this because of what Philip's been through. 
I understand it would be a hypothetical desert, but, but maybe there's been things in Philip's life that God could use in his witness and in his testimony to reach this man of Ethiopia. See, the world is absolutely full of people ready to hear the gospel, ready to receive Christ. Unfortunately, all too often, I believe they are met with Christians who are, are too busy, too busy with their job, too busy with their hobbies, and with any other distraction that Satan could use to distract them from that main thing. Well, pastor, are you saying we shouldn't work? Absolutely not. The Bible is very clear about the fact that if we do not work, neither shall we eat. But we ought to work not to find our identity, not to find our happiness or our fulfillment. That comes from God. But rather to put food on the table and for that job to be used as an extension of our lives to reach those around us. To reach those who, who pastor can't have an, a, an effect on like you can. Or others can't. You have a relationship with them. You've spent time with them every day and they may listen to you. Have you done your job? Have you witnessed? Number three, we see this witnessing spirit here. We see the Holy Spirit working a few ways in verses 28 and 29 in our, in our passage of scripture here this afternoon. Firstly, we see in the life of the lost. This, this Ethiopian eunuch, he is searching. He is looking for answers, and that's given by God. God wants people to come to know him as personal Savior, and this man is searching as God has planted this seed in his life. Have you ever thought about this? God wants to see men and women come to know him as personal Savior a whole lot more than we do. And he plants that seed in them, and we need to be willing at times to water or harvest that fruit, as the Bible talks about. Secondly, here, we saw, firstly, God works in their life. Secondly, we see through the Word of God. I am thankful today that we have the Word of God. As a, as a saved person, I am thankful for the comfort and security we have in, in knowing Christ and the promises He gives us, the instruction and promises. As we know, He will never leave us nor forsake us. I cannot claim that. My, my, my heavenly father would, would have done that. But on my earth, my, my heavenly father, he will never leave me nor forsake me. And what a blessing and a promise that is. The fact that we can hide under the shelter of his wings and that we are to put our strength and find a refuge in him. What a comfort that is as a believer. But even more importantly to the lost, it's the power of God into salvation. As we can see if we're lost, that we can come to know him as our personal savior, as he wants to forgive our sin debt, as he's already paid that penalty for our sin. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that we have the word of God for ourselves and to share with others this afternoon. And finally, by speaking in and through the life of the believer. Like I said, it's possible that Philip was brought along to share with this man his personal testimony and the scriptures to, so, to show this man how God worked in his life. If we are a willing servant, God will direct us to those who are ready to hear or at least have that gospel seed planted in their lives. So can I encourage you with two things this afternoon? First of all, pray that God would bring people across your path. Have you done that? Have you done that recently? I guarantee you, if you pray, God, would you please send someone across my path that I can witness to? He'll do it. And we need to be ready to preach the gospel and witness to them 
And it's just an amazing way how God works. And then secondly, and this is something I've struggled with in the past, realize that it's God's job to bring them to himself. Turn with me once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As a passionate soul winner, as a missionary, you know, sometimes I just want to see people saved. I wish I could just shove it down their throat or, or, or make them believe. But I can't do that. And other times, on the field, as a missionary, we write prayer letters. You know this, church. And sometimes I think, Lord, help me. I, I don't have anybody this month. Oh, no. You know? And that is also a concern as a missionary. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, it says this. It says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God. We are God's husbandry. You're God's building. That's a comfort to me, to understand that God will bring the increase, that, that he has a bigger stake in this than I do. He is in control, and we are to be faithful. We, are be able, we, we ought to be willing to allow God to do what he would through us. Why? Because lastly, in number four, we have a wonderful story. From verses 30 through the end here, we see a wonderful story, a story that cannot remain silent. God wants to proclaim throughout the world through the written word and through the life of every believer. How are you doing, Christian? Are you sharing what God has done in your life with others through your mouth and through your testimony? Are you different? Now, the Bible says the word peculiar. That does not mean weird. That means different. When people see you at work or at the park or, or at the store, do they say, hey, there's something a little different about that one. I mean, I, I, wanna, I want that. Do you live a life in a way in which people would say, I want what you have? Again, the joy, the peace, the love, all these fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to have, and the change that's happening in your life, and the testimony they can see because of the changes God has made in your life. You've heard it said before, you maybe the only Bible some people will ever read. What does that look like? What does that look like in, in your life? How has your testimony been? When was the last time you shared the gospel with another? I want to encourage you, wherever you are today, to go ahead and get busy serving the Lord. And maybe it is this evening, this afternoon, that God would use you or is calling you to go somewhere else, to go to some other place. Would you be willing to go or do you have reservation? Oh God, you don't mean me, do you? What if he does? Are you willing to be used? Are you willing to be used by God and allow him to work in your life? We understand when God does work, he can do so much more than we could ever imagine. I want to be used like that. Will you be used like that here or wherever God has you? I'm going to close with these three verses in Matthew chapter 5. If you're able, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we close. It's really a summation of all we've talked about here this afternoon. 
It's what I will be doing in Belize. And I pray that you would continue to do the same here. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That's a promise right there. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Grace Baptist, what are you doing? Are you letting your light shine or are you trying to hide that? You're maybe nervous of maybe not feeling adequate. We're not. God is. We need to be faithful to let our light shine and allow him to do what he wants to do in your life and around the world. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.